So you know, and for the because we have just about an hour left, and and I just wanted to share a few passages from the suttas, which I think is good advice, you know, for for taking the practice back home when you're leaving today. And uh, you know, that's why we are really practicing for to have like a, a more harmonious lives, you know, more lives you know, lives which are more in accordance with reality rather than, you know, kind of going against it. So I was hoping, you know, that this is going to be helpful for you. So there's this one sutta from the Samyutta Nikaya, and uh, there's, uh, you know, someone is called Kundalia, he asks the, the Buddha a question and he says, I see some ascetics and Brahmins engaged in discussion for the benefits of rescuing their own thesis in debate and condemning the thesis of others. But what is the benefit that Master Gautama lives for? So he asks the Buddha, you know, basically, what do you live for? And I think that's a good question to ask ourselves, you know, what are we doing, you know, with our lives? And the Buddha answers that the Tathagata, that's how the Buddha refers to himself, that the Tathagata lives for the benefit and fruit of true knowledge and liberation. But Master Gautama, what things, when developed and cultivated, fulfill true knowledge and liberation? The seven factors of enlightenment, Kundalia, when developed and cultivated, fulfill true knowledge and liberation. But Master Gautama, what things, when developed and cultivated, fulfill the seven factors of enlightenment? The four establishments of mindfulness, Kundalia, when developed and cultivated, fulfill the seven factors of enlightenment. So, you know, that's what we have been doing, or at least try, what we have been trying to do, you know, to practice with the four foundations of mindfulness and to develop and cultivate the seven factors of enlightenment. And, you know, in that way we are walking in the footsteps of the Buddha and, you know, we have all of these teachings available. So, you know, we are having a very good situation. We just now, we just need to really do it. And... uh, there's another sutta, you know, which is called the basis for developing the aids of enlightenment. So, you know, what do we, do we need to, so what, what kind of support systems, you know, can we put into place in order to be able to do this work? And this is a, a sutta from the Anguttara Nikaya, and there's some, some monastics, you know, ask the Buddha, what is the vital conditions or the approximate cause for the development of the aids of enlightenment? And the seven factors of enlightenment are, you know, they are inside the aids of enlightenment to enlightenment, which are 37 different factors, and seven of them are the seven factors of enlightenment. And I just want to kind of, you know, let you know what the Buddha answers. What are the vital conditions for the development 
of the Age of Enlightenment. And he says, the first one, the first support is good friends. He says, here friends, a practitioner has good friends, good companions and good comrades. This is the first proximate cause and vital condition for the development of the AIDS to enlightenment. And then the second one is ethics or discipline. Again, friends, a practitioner is virtuous. She dwells restrained by the code of ethics, possessed of good conduct and resort, seeing danger in minute thoughts, having undertaken these training rules, she trains in them. This is the second proximate cause, vital condition for the development of the AIDS to enlightenment. And the next one is about you know, having access to the teachings or the instruction. Again, friends, a practitioner gets to hear at will without trouble or difficulty talks concerned with the Dhamma that is conducive to opening up the heart and, you know, talk on contentment and on arousing energy and virtuous behavior, on wisdom and liberation, on knowledge and vision of liberation. This is the third proximate cause vital condition. I do a little bit of editing as I read it out because it's like, you know, written for... It's written in a, in a long time ago and for monastics, so I try to kind of adapt it as I go along to sound a little bit not so stern, you know, because I don't think that's necessary, really. And then the fourth, the fourth vital condition is energy or application of energy. A practitioner has aroused energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and acquiring wholesome qualities. She is strong, firm in exertion, not casting off the duty of cultivating wholesome qualities. This is the fourth proximate cause vital condition. <coughs> and then the fifth one and last one is wisdom. Skillful knowledge. Uh, again, friends, a uh, practitioner is wise. She possesses the wisdom that discerns arising and passing away, which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. This is the proximate fifth proximate cause vital condition for the development of the AIDS to enlightenment. So, you know, paying attention to arising and ceasing, paying attention to impermanence is, is mentioned, you know, one of five vital conditions. So it's very important, you know. And in our case, we, we, we need to kind of emphasize more the endings because that doesn't seem to come so easy. And then, then the summary at the end saying, when a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will be virtuous. And then the second one is, when a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will get to hear the Dhamma without trouble or difficulty. 
the next one. When a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will arouse energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities. Then the last one. If a practitioner has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of her that she will be wise, possessing the wisdom that discerns arising and passing away, which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. So he's basically, you know, allowing impermanence, you know, to change your mind, basically. And, and having good friends, good comrades, good companions is very important, you know. It's every time it's mentioned, you know. And it's the most important external condition, you know, for the practice to be successful is good companions, good friends. And the most important internal condition is, you know, wise attention or, you know, mindfulness and clear comprehension and curiosity. So those two, and the suttas are quite full of that, you know, mentioning about the good friends, the good companions, the good comrades, because, you know, they really help us, the right company really helps us to kind of go in the right direction. And that's why, you know, Sangha is one of the three refuges because of that, because of how important it is. And, yeah, that's the essence of this sutta. And I just, you know, wanted to share that with you so that I just wanted to really, that you really understand the importance of paying attention to impermanence because it sounds like what's, you know, why is that so important? Because it's, you know, it's just like happening all the time, inside and outside of ourselves, quote-unquote, you know. And it's easily overlooked. So we have to really make a concerted effort, you know, to, to, to kind of pay attention to it yeah, and turn the mind towards it. And that's, you know, why we want to calm the mind, why we want that, that the mind gets concentrated, that's why we want to prepare the mind, not in order to have a pleasant abiding. You know, that's also a side benefit of it. But we just want to, want to get the mind, you know, kind of ready to see the arising and passing away. That's why we are doing it. And of course, your know, calm mind can can see much with much more clarity than than an uh, excited or uh, restless mind can't see much because it's completely kind of, you know, caught up in itself. But a calm mind can see clearly, and at the same time, it's also a pleasant experience. But do not get sidetracked, you know, by the pleasant experience, enjoying it, but not making it, you know, making it. Uh, another thing we are attaching to and, and hunting after. Because then we, we shoot ourselves into the foot, so to say, you know. <laughs> and that's, it's really important to understand that. Because otherwise we can waste years, you know, in the practice. 
not understanding that. Yeah, because it doesn't look like much, you know, this impermanence. So what, you know? But it is really the essence, it's the key. Calmly witnessing impermanence or change. That's really the key for the practice, you know, to, to open up and change us. And, you know, and having good friends who are also, you know, understanding that is very, is very helpful, you know. Because we're very much influenced, you know, by the people we are spending time with. <coughs> and at the same time, you know, if we are developing skillful qualities like this, it is quite likely that we will have good friends, you know, because we ourselves are good friends. So that's really another most important points, you know, to remember and to, to take with us when we go back now to our jobs and to our families and everything and then things, you know, start to pile up one on top of the other and it's quite easy, you know, to kind of disappear under all of it. But if you just can make, you know, like at least short interruptions, you know, that can be really helpful. And just stepping back and seeing, you know, the impermanence of all of this. And, and then, you know, making the right choices to, in terms of what, what is really a priority for me in how do I really want to invest my, the remaining time, you know, because we don't know how long we're going to be around still. So this is all of those practices, you know, the reflection on death helps us to really find out what are our priorities, what do we want to do with the remaining time we have. And the, the meditation of the elements, you know, helps us to really see how much you know, we are just part of nature and live in a constant exchange and cannot separate ourselves. And, you know, and then the meditation on, on the four Brahma Viharas is, you know, really kind of understanding how, you know, opening the mind through this different qualities like goodwill, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity, it's, you know, it's really kind of a way to strengthen the mind and to support the mind to be able to stay open even if difficulty and challenging experiences are, you know, coming to us. We can meet them with an open mind and and in particular you know we have to include ourselves into that circle of compassion and benevolence and you know, sympathetic joy and equanimity it's not just like we need to we required you know to give this to others in order to be a good buddhist we have to give it to ourselves first you know and then 
it can flow forth from there. So, you know, that's this very, you know, whole toolkit, so to say. You know, Buddhism isn't a, a set of beliefs, but it's a, a, a toolkit. And, and then we can apply those tools in our lives and we can see for ourselves, you know, if there is changes or not. And what works for us. So... I think that's, you know, what I like to say in terms of closing and, you know, thank you for you know, being here for, for those three days and for paying attention and showing real interest and asking many good questions, you know, that's really a very good sign that you're really, you know, interested and, and uh, want to have some benefit from this, you know, because it's, it's such an amazing teaching, you know, which has been carried on by, by, by a whole chain of people since over 2,600 years because it is a very precious teaching, you know. Otherwise it would have just kind of gone lost, you know. But there were always enough people around who were interested enough to, to preserve it, you know. So, and, and nowadays it's very easy actually to access the teaching so many different opportunities we have. And it's really important you know, to find what works for you because there's many different ways how it can be, you know, how it can be um, expressed. So many different schools of Buddhism and lineages. And, you know, the way how I have been sharing is mostly informed by what's called nowadays early Buddhism. And uh, you know that's that's a way of kind of expressing the teaching, which is uh, is rather s simple compared with you know some of the later schools of Buddhism. But nevertheless, it's still not easy, you know, to do because it's it's very can be very challenging, you know, to kind of meet one's own experience with those tools. So simplicity, you know, doesn't mean it's easy. It's just simple in terms of you know the layout, so to say. And and you know, and for some people, it's a very uh, you know inspiring way of of. of laying out the teaching of the Buddha and, and some people find it rather dry. So we have to see, you know, what works for us. But it's, it's you know, it's the kind of the teaching from which then the latest schools, you know, they have been, you know, kind of developing out of that teaching. And then they have been, you know, traveling to different countries and, and also, you know, integrated in those different cultures. So nowadays we, you know, we have a whole array of different expressions of Buddhism available and they look 
on the surface so extremely different, but in essence they are all the same. They're all about letting go and not about gaining anything. Okay, so I think I'm going to end here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.